The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. For those of you who have no idea who I am because I'm often out in kids on a Sunday morning, my husband and I shifted here eight months ago. My name is Mandy and my husband's name is Aaron. And we oversee the kids and the youth ministry in the life of our church. And it's been an amazing eight months. We are so privileged and blessed to be here. And it's been much of a blessing to our family as we hope we've been a blessing to you. So I just want to thank you for being an amazing church family. Now, I've got on my notes, pray, look at the time, relax. So I'll do all three now. (laughs) Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for this morning. For every person who is here, I thank you that none of us are here by accident this morning. That whether we came out of routine purposefully, perhaps we've got no idea why we're here, that you knew every single individual person who would be here this morning. That whether we realize it or not, today is a date with destiny with you that you want to speak a word that will set us free and bring life and change the whole direction of 2017. God, I pray you would have your way. We open our hearts. We choose to be hungry. Speak to us, God, and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. My heart for this morning is that you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. Anytime we get a revelation, and a revelation is not just head knowledge, it's life-changing heart knowledge. Whenever you get a revelation of truth, it always, always brings freedom. Just like a lie will always bring bondage, the truth will always bring freedom. And so whether it is your first time in church this morning or you've been going to church since the day you were born, I pray that this morning would bring another element of freedom and truth in your life in Jesus' name. So this morning, my sermon, if you're taking notes, is entitled Fearless. And Pastor Anne asked me this morning when I arrived, how are you feeling about preaching? And I said, nervous. And she said, what are you speaking on? And I said, fearless. Don't you love how the humanity and the supernatural just walk arm in arm? But for the second service, I'm no longer nervous because I've preached all that out of my system. So you'll probably get the better message this morning. So you've come to the right service. What do you imagine when you hear the word fearless? What image does it conjure up in your mind? Fearless. Do you see yourself? When I imagine the word fearless, I see myself standing on the shores of the ocean. For some reason, it's nighttime. I don't know why. But the thunder's rolling in, the storm's rolling in, and I'm like just yelling to God. I don't know what I'm yelling, but just standing on the edge of the world, just unashamed, fearlessly looking at the future. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, she laughs at the days to come. She laughs at the days to come. Fearless. What do you imagine when you hear the word fearless? What emotions does it conjure up? Do you have hope or do you feel discouraged by the mere mention of the word? Does it make you feel filled with joy and faith or do you feel cynicism and impossibility? Do you see yourself when you hear the word fearless? Do you even believe living fearlessly is possible? Do you believe it's God's plan for your life? Thank you. (laughs) Do you believe God has called you 
to live unafraid, unashamed and fearlessly. And even if you believe that's God's call, do you think it's possible to see it outworked this side of eternity in your life? What do you believe? I want to read a scripture this morning, which I hope I have time to read a second time later. I didn't in the first service, so pay attention first time through in case we don't come back to it. But it's 1 John 14, 17 to 19 in the message. It says this, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on Judgment Day. Our standing in the world is identical to Christ's. You could ponder for years just on that thought alone. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is, not, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love. Love and be loved. First we were loved, now we loved. He loved us first. Fear is crippling. And do you see here that it marries the two together? Since fear is crippling... Love is not fully formed. We, though, are going to love. As if choosing to live a fearless life is in the same breath choosing to live a life of love. Because I don't know if you've tried in life or noticed, but you can't both fear something and love it. You can't both fear someone and love them. I had to learn early on in my leadership and in my pastoring that I can't pastor those that I fear. If I have fear of man, it will stop me every time from loving man. If I have fear of the people that I'm leading, it will always cripple me and hold me back from truly selflessly loving because fear is self-focused and God wants us to live others-focused. But you cannot live others-focused when you're crippled by fear. You don't set out to be selfish. None of us do. We all want to live for God and to be used by him. But without realizing it, if we allow fear to drive us, it actually prevents us from being cause-driven when we are fear-driven. I'd like to share a little bit of my story with you this morning just so you can get a chance to know me a bit and my journey overcoming fear in my own life. When I was young, I was fearless. Well, I like to think so anyway. But it was the kind of fearless that was based on two things. It was based on the naivety of youth and blind optimism. In other words, I didn't know enough to know fear. I had had a wonderful upbringing. I was fresh out of Bible college. The well was my oyster. Failure was non-existent. Pain hadn't hit me yet. And I was young and naive and fearless. And so... At the age of 20, Aaron and I got married, and on our honeymoon, we prayed together, and we knew that we were both called to ministry and called to live for God. So when we returned from our honeymoon, we made a decision that I would leave my full-time job at a cafe I was working at. I had done Bible college two years earlier and was just volunteering in the church, but working full-time in a cafe. And we decided that it was a good time 
as it is the second you get back from your honeymoon, to quit your job and to volunteer full-time at the church. So I rung up the cafe and said, I'm not actually coming back. And then I rocked up at the youth pastor's office in our church and said, I'm here. He was like, for how long? Five days a week forever. (laughs) I'm here to serve. And then a few months after that, uh, Aaron felt called to go to Bible college. He hadn't gone to Bible college yet. So... (laughs) It's all well and you know, good for one spouse to quit their job and volunteer for Jesus. But no, 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 the second one needs to work to bring in the bickies. However, we, we heard from God, so we fearlessly said yes to the call. And Aaron went to Bible college. The fearless, wonderful things one can do when one is living in a one-bedroom bungalow in the back of my parents' backyard. <laughs> Life was so simple before the mortgage and before children and before actual commitments. And you know, if we ran out of money, we could always walk 10 meters to mum and dad's house, knock on the door and beg, beg for food. She'd, she'd always look after us. So life was amazing and we were fearless. Six months into being married, we felt God call us to go to Camden to be part of a church plant and lead a youth ministry. And it was the first big decision we had to make together as a married couple. I don't think, we might have just turned 21. I think we just turned 21. And so for us, this was our first time stepping out, you know, not, not being in our families, but making our own family and making our own decision together as a married couple. And so we felt the call of God to leave the church that Aaron had grown up in his whole life, the church he'd been saved in, lifelong friends, all of his family that are saved were in that church and to move to the other side of Sydney to become youth pastors in a tiny church plant where there were no youth kids. And so we fearlessly said yes to the call. All our friends told us we were crazy. We had church leaders, friends, even some family members tell us that we were walking out of God's will, that our destiny would be to go around the mountain, that in two or three years' time we'd realise the errors of our ways and come back. So with that encouraging, uplifting send-off, we shifted. And we felt fearless. We felt unafraid until we got there. And I remember the, the first night putting my head on the pillow in our new home. His family had helped us shift. And I tried to get off to sleep, and I drifted off to sleep for a couple of hours. And then I woke up in the middle of the night, and terror had gripped my heart. I was in a cold sweat. I was panicking. And all I could think of is, what have we done? What have we done? What have we done? What have we done? We've destroyed our life. Like, where have we shifted to? So what do you do when it's midnight and you've been woken up in a sheer terror? You wake up your husband. Because if one of you is going to suffer, you can both suffer together. Am I right? I wasn't going to be suffering on my own. Like, how dare he be so peaceful and, and at rest that he's sleeping? So I woke Aaron up, shared the, shared the terror on, you know. And um, I think he patted me on the back or something. He's like, go back to bed. It's all good. It's all good. Like, what about the terror? He's like, go back to bed. You'll be fine. Anyway, we did stay. I was fine. And we ended up building a youth ministry. And we ended up building a youth ministry of up to 120, 130 kids each Friday night. And I remember the first night that we launched our ministry, we went into the schools for the week and we told them we were going to do a car smash. So that's where the car smash all began. And being in Campbelltown, the kids are like, hey, we already do that. But this time it's legal and it's at a church. This sounds amazing. And so our very first youth night, we had, we lost count, but we think we had approximately 400 kids show up. And it was by the grace of God that no one got killed or there wasn't any brawls because none of these were churched. 
All of them were unsaved. And from that night, we got a core of about 50 or 60 that got saved on that night and became the core of the future youth ministry that we were going to build. I was fearless. Like first time out of Bible college, you're thinking, this ministry stuff rocks. Everything works. And then the next day, I remember that was a Friday night, and the next day was a Saturday night. And I went to go to bed, and about 11 o'clock, my phone rang, and it was an unknown number. And I answered it. I don't know about you, but I feel like that was my first big mistake. And the voice on the other end of the phone was an aggressive man, and he sounded quite drunk. And he informed me that he was at, he had about four or five other couples at his house. And they were at his house having a meeting because one of his kids had come to our youth ministry the night before and he'd heard what we'd done and he had decided they were going to run us out of town. And so he proceeded to tell me that this group of important people in Camden were going to go to the council, they were going to go to the police, they were going to speak to the schools to get us kicked out and shut down, that we would no longer continue to minister in this town and we were not welcome. And my 21-year-old self, I, I still have a fairly high-pitched voice, but I was terrible when I was 21. I sounded like I was five. So I'm like, well, you know, we're just here to bless the community. <laughs> I felt so timid and so afraid. In fact, whenever I get telemarketer calls and I answer the phone, I'm like, hi, Mandy speaking. They often say to me, is your mother or father home? Can we please speak to them? To which I respond, no. <laughs> and then I get out of the telemarketing call, which works wonders. But on that occasion, I was shaking like a leaf and I just told him we wanted to bless the community and he threatened me more and hung up. And I remember being smack bang in the center of God's will and fear coming like a flood. Because even if you weren't too scared to step out, the enemy would love once you're out of the boat to destroy your journey out of the boat and to get you back in that box by threatening and spewing lies like a flood. It was like we'd stepped out of the box and the enemy was like, get back in your box. How dare you step out of the box? But God had other plans. So I think I woke up, Aaron cried, got dramatic, shared the love and kept going. <laughs> and so then... <laughs> And so then we did this rally, we combined with the Uniting Church and we went into 10 schools in our local area and we got into those 10 schools because I cold called, called the principals, we met with welfare teachers, um, welfare teachers and head teachers and we got access into 10 um, public schools in our area, which was totally miraculous. They let us take a Christian band through. We met up with Darren McMahon, and that's how we first had the connection with Darren. And with Darren and the Christian band, we did a whole week of seminars, unashamedly preaching the gospel. And then we finished with a rally at the end of the week. And that first one, we had over 500 people come to, and 100 of them got saved. It was amazing. But... Because I, I'm just laying the foundation of fear and how even in the midst of all the victories and all the wonderful things and the, the fearlessness I had, I didn't realize my fearlessness was not based on being forged in the fire with Jesus. My fearlessness was based on naivety and blind optimism. And then the second year came around to do this event. And you think year two would be easier because we'd done it before. The school's now newest. We had runs on the board. We had credibility. I'll never forget going to make the second year of phone calls to the schools 
and I was immobile. I couldn't pick up the phone. I was terrified. I thought, what's wrong with you? Last year, it was so easy. Well, you see, the first year, we had nothing to lose. Because when you haven't done anything, (laughs) when you haven't had any success, in a sense, there's nothing to fear and there's nothing to lose. We might as well give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen? But I discovered the second year round that I had a life-controlling fear of failure. Because once I had a degree of success, I was terrified of losing it. And so I did what Joyce Meyer has said and what we all quote ourselves, do it afraid, do it anyway, and I did. But I'll tell you what, what I remember most about that second year was the fear that sucked the joy out of my life. I made the phone calls, we did the rally, more kids came and more kids got saved, but fear had started to cripple, fear had started to infect, and I was doing it afraid, and I was trying to live cause-driven whilst on the inside being crippled by fear. And if any of you have walked this journey, you'll know that it gets harder and harder and harder to keep living for the cause whilst being crippled by fear. Fast forward to when I was 27 years of age, God allowed Aaron and I to go through a five-year season where in ministry, we had to walk through every single one of our, or particularly my, worst fears. We had five years of fruitlessness, five years of failure, where every single thing we did magnificently bombed. (laughs) Couldn't be more different to the first season of ministry I described you. And it was the worst five years of our lives. I lost my confidence. I lost my faith in God, not, you know, generally, but just in asking for things and in dreaming. I lost my ability to function. I had full-blown depression, panic attacks, anxiety to the point that couldn't answer the phone, I'd just be weeping and my heart would be racing. And I honestly thought, my life is over. And it was because God in his mercy finally allowed my fear that had been crippling me, that I'd been so determined to keep going despite. If you imagine me, I was like a cart that like three of the wheels were so rickety, the whole cart's like going like this. And God's trying to tap me on the shoulder saying, you know, we need to stop and we need to deal with this. I'm fine. I'll just keep going. And so God in his mercy thought, well, I'll fix her. Every single wheel of the car will fall off. And do you know what happens when all four wheels of your cart actually fall off your cart? You can't keep going. And they were the hardest five years of my life. But when I look at them now, they are the most merciful five years of my life. Because God in his tender, loving mercy stopped me in order to fix me. Because you and I were not born to carry a spirit of fear. We were born to be fearless. You were not born on this earth to carry fear and shame. You were born for love. You were born for a cause. You were born for such a time as this, not to try it with all your heart to be selfless and love people whilst being crippled by fear on the inside. You were born to be fearless. You were born to be completely free of fear and shame. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God didn't give you fear. In fact, God designed us and created us to never experience fear, feel it, or even know it. 
And it came as a result of the fall and all fear and all shame is a result of the curse. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, that the moment that Eve and Adam took the fruit and ate it, the Bible says they were afraid and they hid. The very first thing that happened when sin came into the world was fear followed after. Shame followed after. And if you've lived with fear and shame, you would know the cycle perpetuates hiding, which perpetuates more guilt and more shame and more fear. And Jesus, Jesus died on the cross so that we could live unafraid, unashamed, come out of hiding and actually live the outward-focused, mission-focused, cause-driven, adventure, fearless life that you're intended from all eternity to live. Jesus came and he took the blame. Fear was never meant to be and is not meant to be a resident in your home. It is an alien foreign body that your emotions and your mind were not designed to entertain. Fear is not your friend. And you might say to me, well, duh. Well, not all duh. <laughs> I was carrying fear around like it was my best friend. I was holding onto it, covering myself in it, hiding behind it, telling myself I'd never get free of it. Do you know fear is not a part of your personality? Fear is not a part of your personality. It's not a part of your family line. It's not you've got fear because your mum had it or your dad had it. Fear is not a life sentence. Just because right now you're in the grips of it doesn't mean that God cannot set you free from it. You're looking at someone who went from being a high-functioning, high-achiever with all the confidence in the world to totally crippled and unable to function. And then I've come out the other end Hopefully yours won't be a yucky five-year journey. (laughs) But coming out the other end with a fearlessness that was forged in the fire. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you learn to fear no evil because you find out God is with you. Fear isn't forged in calm seas and easy waters. Sorry, fearlessness. Fearlessness is forged when you walk hand in hand with Jesus through the storm. And it's through the storm and the stripping away and the breaking down that God is actually able to rebuild you and remake you. And you come out of the fire, not more fearful than ever. If you allow God to do his work in the storm, you come out of the fire with a fearlessness that has been shaken and tried and forged. That is unshakable. Unshakable. Pastor John spoke a prophetic message on the first Sunday of this year. And if you weren't here for that Sunday, I really encourage you to get get the message. It's on our website. He spoke about 2017 being the year of the open door. And I believe 2017 is the year of the open door. But fear will stop you walking through even the doors that God himself has opened. Fear will get you to close that door yourself, bolt it shut, and refuse to acknowledge that it was even open. Nope, I did not see that crack. That thing was shut. Fear will cause you to hide behind the door. Or even fear will cause you to walk through it and then retreat. Or walk through it and then be a cripple on the other side. 
this is the year of the open door. And if it's the year of the open door, then it's the year to live fearlessly as a church, fearlessly in your marriage, fearlessly in your home, fearlessly in your workplace. I want to ask you this morning, what would you do if you were fearless? Who would you be if you had no fear? What you're picturing right now is God's plan for your life. Because he's designed you and called you to live fearlessly. And when we live fearlessly, we are able to outwork everything God has called us to do and called us to be. How would you pray if your prayers were fearless? What would you ask God for? What would you believe God for if you had no fear? Proverbs 12 verse 25 says, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word, a truthful word from God lifts it up. You and I were never designed to try and run for God and live for God and build a family and have an awesome marriage whilst being crippled and weighed down by fear. You can't actually do both at the same time as I discovered. You were born to be cause-driven and not fear-driven. I love the story of Queen Esther. We all know, or lots of us might know, that quote that Mordecai said to her, you know, would you consider that for such a time as this you were born? But what you may not realize in that story in chapter 4 of Esther is that she so nearly became fear-driven and not cause-driven. And the whole weight of her nation and the whole people of the Jews rested on her deciding whether she was going to be fear-driven or cause-driven. Because Mordecai said to her, I want you to go to the king and I want you to beg on behalf of the Jews that we would be saved and not slaughtered. And in her response to him in chapter 4, she says, don't you know that if I go before the king, I risk death? In other words, don't be crazy. I was called to hide from such a time as this. Thank you very much. I'm safe in my castle, in my temple. So if I just keep my head down, this too shall pass and I'll be fine. She thought fear was her friend. She thought there was safety in hiding. And Mordecai says to her, don't be fooled into thinking that you will survive if you hide in fear. He says, surely you and your family will die if you hide in fear. Someone else will rise up and they will rescue the Jews, but you actually will perish. And then he says to her, have you not considered that you were born for such a time as this? And I want to say to you this morning, whatever you are fearing, whatever you are even subconsciously or consciously avoiding, hiding from, not facing, running away from, Fear is not protecting you. Hiding is not saving you. Fear is not your friend. The only person that can protect you and save you and be your friend is God himself. Is God himself. And you have not been called to such a time as this to hide from such a time as this. You have been called and born for such a time as this. And God has prepared before you entered this season every good work you need. He has equipped you to do everything he has called you to do. So if you are in it, you were born for it. And the hiding will only hurt you and hurt those around you. And this morning, I believe God wants to set people free in the name of Jesus from fear. If the band could keep 
come up, please. When Jesus stood before Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus said, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. I'm so glad that Esther chose to be cause-driven and not fear-driven. And you and I are here because Jesus, after battling the fear and the pressure of the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, rose up before Pilate and said, for this cause I was born. For this cause I was born. It's not my time to hide. It's my time to fight. Though the storm rages, for this cause I was born. You were born to be fearless. And you might say, well, it's not that easy as just deciding tomorrow I'm going to wake up and have no fear. It's not just that easy. I know. I've walked it for five years. I Believe me, I know. But I tell you what it is just as easy as. It is just as easy as starting the journey by acknowledging that you were not born to fear. You were born for love. It is as easy as looking at the fear in your life and acknowledging it's not a life sentence, that God can and will set you free from that. It is as easy as acknowledging that every fearful emotion that you experience in your life is based on a lie and it's not based on the truth. It is as easy as admitting that 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 thing that you've been like excusing and got all these excuses covering it up, that the root of it is actually fear. And in a moment, I'm going to give people an opportunity to start their fearless relationship by starting a relationship with God. And I'm also going to give people an opportunity this morning to make a stand and make a declaration that they will not live 2017 afraid and ashamed. They want to be all and do all God has called us to do. And John's word this morning was so inspiring and so amazing. But it's going to take a fearless generation to see revival come to our church. It's going to take a fearless generation to pray and fast for camp that's coming up. We're going to be praying and fasting for the next 10 days because we are fearlessly and unashamedly asking for for a mighty, mighty work of God to happen in our youth ministry. It takes fearlessness to dream God-sized dreams. Last year, in many ways, was a fearless year for Aaron and I. After God breaking us and making us for five years, we heard the call of God in January that we were on the move. We were happily planted in my parents' church and out of the blue, God said to us, you're on the move. So we shifted out of our home. God didn't tell us when or where or how, He tends to be short on details. (laughs) So we shifted out of our home. We packed out our our belongings. We shifted in with my mum and dad. I gave notice at my son's school that he'd be going somewhere else in 10 weeks' time. When the school office asked me where, I was like, I don't really know. (laughs) Just somewhere awesome because God said. I think I put down Melbourne on the thing. (laughs) I'm like, let's just pick a city. (laughs) Fearless. We shifted here. We had to relocate and make new friends. So much of our life was fearless last year. But after a big, full life, I got to the end of last year and realized fear had actually gripped my heart in one area. And it was my neighbors. 
So after all these big, faith-filled, amazing things I'd done in the year, I had to acknowledge at the end of the year that I was scared to witness and evangelize my neighbors. And I couldn't get away with it because Pastor Anne knows my neighbors. And she's praying that they'll get saved through us. I'm like, awesome. So Pastor Anne would regularly ask me, have you talked to your neighbors? How's it going? Have you invited them to this? I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Yep, it's going great. Yep, sure. And I realized that because so much of my life was living fearlessly arms outstretched, I had allowed a lie to creep in that said in order to sustain my big life, I needed to keep home for me. I could be selfless and fearless in every other area of my life except my own backyard. That's my refuge. That's my safe place. God, don't ask me to minister at home. And it was fear. I wasn't trusting God to protect me. And guess what happens when you don't trust God to protect you? Who has to protect you? You. And so your arms tightly wrap around yourself and you become very selfish. And so I was making gingerbread cookies with my kids just before I prepared this message. And I've gone off sugar as of the 18th of December. Great time to go off sugar just before Christmas. Anyway, I wasn't going to eat the cookies and there were too many for the kids. So I felt the Holy Spirit whisper, give them to your neighbors. I was like, okay, I'm going to open my door, cross the street, open their door. Two doors that will open if I let go of fear. And then I realized we had no icing sugar. And you can't give people cookies without icing them. So I was like, yes, I don't have to do it. And then I started to prepare this message on fearlessness. And have you ever had the Holy Spirit say to you, uh-uh, girlfriend? <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> one day, Phil, one day, it'll happen. It literally was like, uh-uh, girlfriend, don't you even think about writing this message on fearlessness when you know you have an area of fear that is crippling you in your life. So I literally got up from preparing my message, informed Aaron that today we'd be going to the shops, buying icing sugar, decorating the cookies, and we went across the road and gave them to our neighbours. And then on the way back, Jesse and Zeke were like, well, hang on, what about the ones behind us and on the other side and on the other side of them? That's not fair. They need cookies. So we have another batch in the fridge and we're going to be giving cookies to all our neighbours because when you live fearless... You're free to love and be used by God. If you just shut your eyes this morning. God, I thank you for the big grand adventure you've called us all to, to live fearlessly and unashamed. I thank you for the good works you've prepared in advance. I thank you for the people that are yet to be saved, that you've called us as a church to reach, the miracles, the new opportunities, the new blessings, the new ministries of the new doors that you're going to open in 2017. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.